Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today is a special program. We actually have two guests joining us on the show. Our first guest is an industry thought leader, highly skilled in leadership development. He's an expert in building great teams and currently serves as senior manager, customer education, change and adoption management at Esri. Please join me in welcoming Charlie Jones. Charlie, thanks for taking the time today. No, thank you. And joining Charlie, our second guest has a proven ability to help leaders and teams translate vision into strategy. She is an expert in organizational change management and is currently Principal Adoption Strategy Consultant at Esri. I'm pleased to introduce Lyndall Burkhart. Lyndall, thank you for joining. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. I know you guys just came back recently from a big user conference. I'm sure there's some really interesting things you guys learned. Um, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. You guys are squarely in the frontline innovators camp. Um, and if, for those who are familiar with the program or have listened, they know, I always like to kind of open it up with kind of a, a big picture question. And that question is what's the biggest challenge you two see facing the deskless workforce today? Sure. Gosh, um, Eugene, thank you. You know, when I talk with organizations, this is what comes up for everybody is often the biggest barrier to adoption. And that's time is that, you know, the time to really adopt and certainly our frontline users, they're really, I would call on the fringe of making the mission happen in an organization. So oftentimes they're off in the field and they're not in an office where they really have to just improvise and make things happen for the organization. And so these people, frankly, often don't have the time. They're busy actually just doing the work. And so really finding the ways um, for people to quickly adopt a new technology is really critical. We always talk about in our adoption management practice how important it is to build desire for people to want to change and to have the the knowledge, the know-how, how to change, and the ability and reinforcement to change. We modeled that after the ProSci ADCAR model. And certainly, you know, getting people those quick tools where they can, you know, just even on their phone, for example, find out, read a guide, see a tutorial. They need to just quickly know what's new because they're busy, they're on the move. So I see time really as the biggest barrier and for us to find those quick ways for people just to quickly adopt a new technology. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Lyndall. You know, it, it just seems like we're asking these folks to do more and more and more in, in their day jobs, right? Like you say, and then we layer on more and more change. And, and that's been a certainly a recurring theme that, that we've heard on, on this program. So dead on, dead on. Charlie, any, any thoughts from, from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it, seen the challenge up, up close and personal. Um, when it's really effectively addressed, there's something that's happening with leadership and management and supervisors. And it's like a, a coordinated dance, hopefully, if they do it well. They've thought about what they want to communicate. They want to communicate why this is happening. They want to communicate how the person is going to accommodate this change or this new tech or whatever it might be. And really what it's going to look like when they're done. Things are going to be better. So it's really how effective is leadership, sponsorship, we like to call it, right? But it's, it's throughout the organization. How does that message really cascade effectively so that the end user who needs to make the change and needs to adopt the tech, whatever it is, knows why, knows how they're going to do it, knows what it's going to mean to them. When that's done well, that coordinated dance, so to speak, um, it's effective. But I've also seen the opposite where organizations you know, somebody says, hey, we're going to go do this. And then they hand it to everybody. And it just never works out well that way. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. 
you know, kind of combining both of the things you, you guys, uh, Lyndall and, and Charlie, you each talked about, you know, on one hand, we've got, you know, the, the change that's happening to the front line and their time constraints. And when, when a time constraints translates to pressure, right. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, you know, obviously the importance of communication, you know, what is the risk of too much change and too much communication, you know, maybe potentially falling on deaf ears, right. Or it's the, you know, that ball boy who cries wolf, so to speak, do they, do they ultimately tune it out or maybe what are the techniques to make sure that they don't tune out the the messages and and the learnings? It's the quality and effectiveness of the communication that really matters. Too much change is always bad. I mean, there is, there is a, a threshold that people just can't adjust to, but you know, if you plan for it, if you actually have a real strategy to drive adoption, you know, you have thought through what it is you want to communicate. You've shared that across the sponsors that need to communicate it and hopefully even coach them on how to communicate it. If you're doing it well, that's the way it's done. Yeah. And I would even add to that, um, particularly with frontline employees, if you will, the most important messaging is going to come from their supervisor or their manager. Um, That's who they're going to be visiting with. And so when we talk about strategic communication, we need to build communications that really speak to that audience So for example, a manager or a supervisor, we want to help them understand why it's so important for their frontline worker, their teammate, the person they supervise to to give them time to to do an app or look at a guide. We want them, we want to actually tee up that messaging for them so that they're bought into it and they understand why it's so important. Um, You know, I'd share this with you. Patrick Lencioni is is one of my favorite writers. And he talks about in several of his books that it's good leaders really helped connect the dots of what one employee does that helps make the mission happen. And so it's really that supervisor or manager of these frontline workers that can help say, this is why it's so important for you to, I'm making this up, adopt a new mobile technology or whatever it is because here's the value to the business. And so we need to help connect those dots of why a training or a new technology is so important. Yeah, I love that concept of connecting dots and, and you know, this idea that, you know, the supervisors, I imagine those direct supervisors, those direct managers, they have the credibility, right? Probably more credibility in the eyes of those frontline workers than the executive, you know, five rows up on the ladder who's, you know, they've never met in person before, probably, right? Yep, true. So I, I know there's probably many of our listeners are very familiar with Esri. Uh, you guys are a giant in the space. Um but we probably have some listeners who aren't as familiar. I'd love to just, if one of you could give a, a, a brief overview of who Esri is, you know, you know what you guys do. And then in particular, I'd love to talk a little bit about your organization and, and, and how critical the mission you guys are on uh, within, within Esri itself. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, what people need to know is, because really not a lot of people do know about Esri, even though we're on everybody's phone, even though, you know, when they spawn a map on a Google or an Apple, we're underneath all that. Uh, we're, we're the coolest tech company that nobody knows about. Okay. Um, now, I've known about Esri forever and today, um, simply because I was in and around tech for my entire career. But Esri was founded back in 69, 1969. Now, we're a software company. So, 69. Um, Jack Dangerman, who's the founder, um, came out of the Harvard Creative Lab or Harvard Imagery Lab, I forget which one it was, um, and had some concepts on how to use imagery and geospatial, which is now geospatial, to do some pretty incredible things. I think his first project was helping LA County map smog movement. Mm, Now, 69, okay? So we're 53 years old now. And, you know, the company's grown up. We're about 4,000 U.S. employees, probably another six around the world. Global company, um, 350,000 plus customers, um, literally every government agency, most commercial companies, um, uh, just doing some incredible work. I mean, I call it the software itself, the Swiss Army knife of of software, because 
depending on the industry or the mission you're on or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, um, it's going to be a component of that decision support that you're looking for from software. Um, so a really important element to all kinds of businesses, um, specifically around location intelligence and geography and geospatial, which is a term not everybody's familiar with, which is really taking spatial data and lay layering that over the uh, the map, so to speak, or the or the geography, to um, expose different things that you wouldn't have noticed or seen just by simply looking at a map or consuming the data. The geographic sense to information, the location intelligence for information, is important in virtually every type of decision that you need to make. You'd be hard pressed pressed to find a decision that you need to make in business or government isn't improved by the intelligence location. Yeah. And obviously, you know, being founded back in 1969, mm -hmm. this was way before mobile, way before the internet, but obviously that location intelligence and geospatial awareness, those things are increasingly important today to mobile workers in a mobile environment. Can you talk a little bit about how kind of GIS, if you will, is kind of going mobile more and more and more. Yeah, I mean, the company's been through a series of what I call tectonic shifts, um, mm -hmm. things that could have destroyed the company or things that could have just made it, you know, a tipping point for growth. And luckily, every time it's been a tipping point for growth. And, you know, you can go back and, and you know, the, the microcomputing days, the, um, the advent of, uh, of mobile and cloud have been the more recent shifts, right? So folks are embedding their their uh, GIS environment in the cloud now. Um, but yeah, for mobile in particular, now you think that would have happened a long time ago, but the processing requirements of a mobile device to be able to, to do the work it needs to do um, when you're talking about data capture and geospatial, that's been around for a while. Um, in our space, that's really starting to take off because of a couple things. Uh, I think the first one is that uh, organizations have come to understand the power that um, location intelligence brings to the work that they do. Generally speaking, everybody who's using a mobile device in the field is doing some form of collection of data. Yep. Okay. And then the notion of that, you know, trans transporting uh, over a, a high-speed mobile network. Now you're talking about real-time authoritative data going into some form of community, you know, computing device, probably appearing on a dashboard for leadership and management for decision support. Things happen so much faster and better. The data is authoritative, it's real, it's in real time, so I'm getting it immediately. If you think about a mobile workforce, they're mobile. They need to shift and move to go do different types of work. You can now do that so much more effectively and efficiently than literally just a few years ago. Yeah. And I'd love to come back a, a, a little bit later. I'd like to come back and talk a little bit more about that point in terms of the value that it brings to the frontline worker a little bit. Right. And, and going back to your point earlier, Charlie, about, you know, kind of what it means for them, right. How it's empowering them. I, I want, I want to come back to that, but yeah. I'd also like to, to talk a little bit about, okay, you're, you know, the, you know, the change and adoption management team at Esri, like, why do you guys exist? Right. What is your remit? You know, why were you created? Sure. So um, geospatial technology is not um, as simple as opening up your iPad and, and playing a game. It's complex technology. Um, there's a significant community of users out there that consider geographic information systems as their profession. It's a professional community. That's something you can really look at Esri and Jack Dangerman as is being proud of building. It's a whole profession. Um, and they take it, you know, very seriously. They, they, they want to be educated. They want to be on the front line of knowledge. They want to be able to do uh, creative and innovative things with technology. And that's all people. Okay. You can't just hand them a complex technology that does amazing things and expect them to do amazing things. They need to be educated. They need to be inspired. Um, in many cases, with the rapid pace of change, they need to change, they need to adopt. And what we found is um, when organizations put a focus on people 
around the use of the technology, whether that's knowledge, whether that's desire, when they put a focus on it, they're able to accelerate to their return on investment much faster. It's really all about the customer. It's really all about the organization. If they can gain that value faster, they're going to move on to the next one faster. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I love this, this you know, it, it's often something we hear, obviously, uh, among the guests of our program, we hear it because I think a lot of people get it. But unfortunately, you know, we often talk about the technology without talking about the people. And at the end of the day, technology is just a tool, right? It's, it's a tool designed to help those individuals, right? Whether they are deskless and frontline workers or whether they are those, um, you know, GIS professionals, right? Who've made kind of a career of it, right? And, mm-hmm. and too often, I think we also forget that, you know, even though I think, you know, companies, software companies have made great strides in making their technology more and more easy to use and more and more intuitive. The fact is that these are very valuable systems in so many cases, and they also have carry that complexity, I think is, is what you were talking about, right? They inevitably carry complexity. We often think of, you know, the software that we use in our personal life, you know, is designed to be so intuitive, but enterprise systems by definition, because they involve so many things within the business, right? Often just carry some inherent complexity with them, no matter what. Mm-hmm. That's Eugene, true. I would add to this as well, that, you know, in this day and age, um, we don't want change to be, you know, a burning ring of fire that people, you know, have to jump through. <laughs> change doesn't have to be that way at all. Particularly when you build desire, you let people know that change is coming. You don't frisbee them in the head. Gosh, come to work and we changed everything. You know, people need time to think about it, to, to get excited about it, and to have the time and ability actually to adopt it. These are strategies that really help with not having change be rings of fire because some of these changes are substantial changes. When we talk about that actually with the people part, is that how is somebody's job really going to change? What's the magnitude of change? So in some instances, it's not that big of a change, but in other instances, it's a significant change. And so when we think through these things in advance and anticipate how people's jobs are gonna change, when we, when we help them, they're not having to jump through a ring of fire you know, to adopt a new technology. I think that's a great term, this ring of fire, um, because that's often what it feels like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like we're acrobats at, at the circus, right? Trying to navigate through all this. Um, Lindell, I'd love to, to, to pick your brain a little bit because I know you just came back from a, you know, Esri's big user conference in San Diego, um, and I know I saw on your LinkedIn profile uh, a room that was overflowing for one of your sessions. So I, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about what are your customers kind of telling you? I mean, where do they really need help when it comes to this change and adoption? What are, are there kind of one, two, three things that keep coming up thematically? Like, hey, this is where we're really struggling with it. So Eugene, here's what I'd say is that people don't even know what they don't know. They just know if I'm a GIS manager that we've had some situations in the past where perhaps we haven't gotten the adoption that, that we want. And so can you help us, you know, how to even start doing this? And so when we, when we answer that question, you know, first of all, there's a structured approach to really leading and managing change. There's phases of change that you, you want to do. One of the biggest pieces that, that folks are really interested to know about is that they typically have support from their immediate um, supervisor, you know, to go ahead and implement a strategy but they really don't have that spread buy-in. And so we call that recognized value. So, so much in change is, is getting buy-in and having your leaders really recognize the value of geospatial technology. And so we, we have some success stories about you know, what that looks like and how that works. And we also talk about not only just getting executive buy-in, but um, we talk about standing up influencer groups and we're, we're doing that all over in organizations where we're, we're coaching people not just to get the top down support, but to get bottom up support. You know, we need, we need it all. We need energy for change to happen. Um, so I think that that to answer your question, you know, what are people asking for? They're just they're overwhelmed and they're asking, how do I even approach this? You know, what are some steps? What are some key strategies? 
And so those key strategies that Charlie shared earlier are always around sponsorship, anticipating challenges and barriers and proactively mitigating them. It's about providing the knowledge and the desire to change um, and then the reinforcement to change. But while those seem intuitive, it helps people to see a package of, of the steps of how I actually do that. Yeah. And it also sounds like from your, 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 your narrative there, Lyndall is like, you know, you know, obviously we're talking about the change. We've talked about the change impact on the front line, but there's also this change impact on the people who are trying to drive the technology to the front line, right? They're overwhelmed. Like the, the as you talked about, like, these GIS professionals, they're not professional change managers, not professional trainers, right? They, the, and, and all of a sudden that task seems, you know, to fall on them. And it doesn't have to be a GIS professional, right? You can take this to any technology professional in the world, right? They're often tasked with implementing a, a digital transformation project. And they're like, but wait, there's all these parts and pieces that I don't know what I'm doing, right? Well, in every in any organization that I have typically ever um, provided some consulting to, they all will have a story that they frankly will laugh about about a fiasco implementation that you know they had so much expectation, and in the final analysis, for some reason it wasn't successful. And typically, when you go back and diagnose why wasn't this successful, it was because the people strategy was absent in the whole piece. Yeah. And, and I think too often people leave that people's strategy till the end, right. Or ill in, until too late. Is that what you see very often as well in working with your customers? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so I'd love to, one of the other things I, I always love to kind of dive into a little bit is, well, how did you, how and why, how, are you interested in solving this challenge individually, right? I mean, we understand it from the Esri standpoint, but for Charlie and Lyndall, you know, how did you get, how did you get to Esri? How did you get involved in, in change management? How did you get involved in technology? You know, you know, do you look at it as, as punishment or, or the end of a, of a virtuous road for your, for each of you? Uh, it's definitely the end of a virtuous road. Um, and, you know, the very notion of, helping our customers, our users, our organizations that we work with make the world a better place. I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day because Esri is a very unique culture, a very unique company, um, really from a guy that's been around. Just, I, I don't know of any other one like it. And, and it's, it's, we do incredible work. Our customers do incredible work with our technology. And when you see them succeed, I mean, that's, that's our compensation plan. <laughs> it, it literally is our reward system here. That's one of the very unique things about our culture is we celebrate our customer successes. That's, that's probably what brought, not only brought me here, but keeps me here past retirement age. Yeah. And how did you get involved in change management? What, you know, and, and the adoption strategies, what kind of brought you to that point? Well, I, you know, Lyndall's got a, a, a bigger background in that than I do, or at least a longer term background. Uh, although earlier on in my corporate life, there were several times where I needed to invoke a, a kind of change management approach to, you know, getting a sales force to adopt Salesforce, yeah. you know, or, um, or getting them to adopt to a new whole product set and learn how to sell it or whatever. Um, but as I got here to Esri, um, there were a couple folks in the organization who had been um, schooling themselves on, on change management, uh, very academically, by the way. And um, being in the people business, running an education unit, um, we saw it every day. I mean, we were out there with our customers every day. So we saw it every day that the, the big missing component was really around how do you help drive and accelerate adoption? How do you help our customers do that? And certainly change management as a approach is, is the right approach because these things all represent significant changes, but building it more into a strategy around adoption. So how do you accelerate adoption? Because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you use the words change management, those can kind of be a little scary sometimes. When you talk about, you know, what would be the outcome if your users adopted the software twice as fast? 
or you didn't have people that resisted adopting the software. You know, what, what would that mean to you? And what that would mean is, you know, if you're a business person like I am, I'm starting to think in dollars. Yeah, I think that's really important as well. I mean, I love how you kind of talked about that as the outcome, right? And change management is not an outcome, right? Change management is a, a process in a lot of a lot of ways, right? Or, or a discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, but the outcome, right, is adoption. And even what, like you said, what's beyond adoption. And I, I think that often happens in, in transformation projects and technology projects is we start with, okay, what's the benefit? right? What's the benefit in the business case? And then we get in the weeds when it comes to the selection of technology and getting funding for the project and getting down to nuts and bolts. And then all of a sudden for, you know, I always talk about as the business case gets slid when we used to have file cabinets, at least get slid into a file cabinet, right. And forgotten about, and we tend to forget what the outcomes are. Um, But at the same time, I think we bring that back and talk about it in in the context of adoption, because it's like, well, what happens if it doesn't get adopted? Right. It prompts people to think about, okay, yes, that's right. There are there are desired outcomes that we're hoping to to see from from this initiative. I mean, what you're going to do if you're doing it right, okay, is you're going to plan it with the end in mind. You're going to execute it with the end in mind. The end in mind is always in in front. You need to know your outcomes. You need to be able to measure your outcomes. Yeah. What, what do you see as when you think about mobile particularly and frontline workers, when it comes to um, GIS and location intelligence, what are the common outcomes like you talked about that are kind of driving uh, your customers to kind of get this out to the field, get this technology out into the hands of their frontline workers? It's really straightforward. The data is better, okay? It's in real time. So it's providing the decision support in real time if you're doing it right. And most people are that are doing it are doing it right. On the flip side of that, you're creating employee productivity that can be exponential if you do it right. You're taking paper forms out of people's hands. Um, you're eliminating data entry, right? You're simply creating that decision support in a real-time environment. You can put numerics behind all of that. You can create ROIs on all of that. Um, you know, I've seen so many examples where mobile enablement of a field force as, so people will take this as a negative, but keep your business hat in mind. I saw a, a, a technology company that had break-fix organization with 3,000 trucks, 3,000 technicians, and their mobile deployment save their business. They would have been bankrupt had they not deployed mobile dispatch and data collection. Now, they did that by reducing 1,500 jobs. Now, some people would say that's terrible, but it's not. It saved their business. That's the level of efficiency, productivity, and cost savings they achieved. Yeah. And, you know, we've also heard when you talk about kind of field service, one of the things that that I've come across as well as one there, you know, as, as many frontline organizations are today, they're, they're, they're heavily resource constrained, right? They're having difficulty finding employees. So in mm-hmm. some cases, it's not necessarily about, uh, you know, reducing jobs, right? In, in some cases, it's about, okay, how do we do more with less? How do we empower that workforce to be able to do more? I think the other thing that, that I've seen as well is, you know, is that, um, and you alluded to it, Charlie, a bit, which is you know, empowering that worker to make decisions, right, at the point of need, right, to put the decision making in their hands, because in many cases, the role of frontline worker is is changing, right? They are the primary liaison to the customer, right? They are solving problems, right, at that front line uh, of the organization and giving them that ability to do so. I think it's really interesting, you know, because you talked about the two sides of that, which is the data collection. Right. And it goes back to the what's in it for me. Right. The, the what's in it for me for the frontline worker is not the data collection part. Right. That's very often what's in it for you know, mm-hmm. the folks in the in, in the back office. Right. But the what's in it for them is certainly is around empowering them to make decisions. So they're not there on an island, not knowing what to do or trying to get in touch with somebody to help them. Take that concept to an extreme extreme and put that mobile enablement in the hands of an emergency services worker. Okay. Imagine what they can do better and imagine how they feel about that because their mission is saving lives. 
absolutely. And I see, um, I support natural resources. So when you think about our, our pipeline companies and people needing to, to quickly get from one spot to the next spot, honestly, they may not have the roads in Google that actually get them there. And so by having things mapped, people can get to locations quicker um, in terms of you know, responding to a fire, whatever that might be. It's for their own personal safety and how wonderful it is that people don't have to actually go out to an oil rig with a printed map. You can imagine that, that, that they can just use their phone to pick up things and to capture data. And so when Charlie talks about making decisions quicker in emergencies, it's critical right, to be working with that real-time data. But um, I, I see that all the time. There's so many fantastic examples of end users and field workers, how they're using it to become quicker at their jobs, to become more efficient. And, you know, all of this includes drones and satellites. I mean, it is, it's not just them capturing data, we're meshing lots and lots of data. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember several years back working with, um, uh, a, a utility company, right? Um, and just a scenario, right? And and we t- tend to think about as consumers because you mentioned, oh, we've got you know Google Maps on our phone and and all, and all of this, and it's got all the point of interest stuff. And then you realize it's like, well, well, no, wait, you know what happens to the technician, you know, who needs to like find uh, a you know uh, a gas a gas line in the middle of of a field, right? Where is that, right? And how does it get there, right? What are the points of, of ingress and egress, right? How, you know, because there's fences in the way or whatever it is, right? How do I actually get to that spot, um, you know, instead without taking, you know, half a day to get there, you know? Um, so it's really remarkable that level of precision, right, is is absolutely important for those, those frontline workers and things that we often don't, I think most people just don't comprehend. Right. It makes our lives better. I guarantee you. Yeah. You know, once once they've made the change, made the adjustment, adopted to the to the the new app that their boss gave them, um, and start using it, they're going to realize the benefits of efficiency and productivity, and you know, makes them better at their jobs. Yeah. So, Lyndall, I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about. You know, Charlie mentioned that that you and and certainly as I I read your bio earlier, you have a, um, you know a. Uh, several years of experience in change management, you know, how did you get on the kind of change management and adoption path and kind of what led you to, to Esri? Life sometimes takes you places that you didn't know you were going to go. So I was a director of a large school district in Colorado of 8,000 employees, and we needed a new HR payroll software system. And so the board of education approved a $6.4 million ERP plan. And through that ERP was this line item of about $250,000 for change management. And so I said, gosh, let's save the taxpayers money and I'll, I'll just learn how to do this change management thing. So I became trained at an organization called ProSci, which is a global leader in, in change management. And so what I guess I would say is I understand how difficult, because I've walked in the footsteps of a leader getting people to change. And so when even way back in the day, we were processing things by green pieces of paper and yellow pieces of paper. And that was a big transition for my staff to not be inputting payroll, but to be getting it electronically like we needed it to be. And so it really opened my eyes to these levers and tools that, that seem intuitive, but I, I wouldn't have used these levers of communication, barrier mitigation, and sponsorship and training to the degree that I did after that training. And so when I retired and rewired um, in corporate America, I've had an opportunity to work with lovely uh, Fortune 500 and 1000 companies and the government. And what I find compelling about this work is it's fun because every single organization has, you know, a unique circumstance. And so coming up with those creative ways of getting people to adopt change for me is really fun. And and I, I like helping people be successful. So, you know, for me, it's really about serving others 
and, and seeing that smile of success on their face when they have a, a successful deployment. And so, you know, that, that's what keeps me in the business and how I got there. That's great. You know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a recurring story that I've heard among our guests that, you know, it, it's almost becoming a change management practitioner by necessity um, often happens, right? Is you've either, you know, been through some sort of, of change that, that went awry and, and you've been tapped on the shoulder and said, Hey, can you help lead this? Or like yourself, uh, Lyndall is kind of taking it upon yourself to become an expert, which I think is, uh, is, is fantastic. Um, it's interesting that, um, when you look at, um, the top skills that organizations are looking for, whether you're, you know, in the C-suite, a manager level, or, or, you know, citizen in the organization, there's a top skill and, and that's, leading and managing change. That in any organization, we all have to be change capable. <laughs> so it shouldn't be secret about, you know, what's my own change capability, but the ability for organizations to be change capable is really a leading skill and capability that people need to have for, for this, this environment of working. Yeah, and especially now since, you know, the change never stops. Right. And it certainly hasn't in the past, but I think even more so today. Right. Particularly around technology. I mean, it's 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 constant. Um, you know, we've had a, a few conversations on on the, the, the podcast in the past around this notion of, you know, this this notion of I think change management was always kind of viewed as in a project mentality in the past. Right. It's kind of like a beginning and an end, whereas it's like, well, no, it, it doesn't necessarily really end, does it? It doesn't. Um, and, and, you know, the organizations that have uh, adopted to, you know, being more agile, being more resilient, um, who have kind of embraced change, um, Esri is a classic case of it. Uh, we move and shake. I mean, we're, we're a, a, a company of 4,000 people here in the U.S., but in reality, we're doing the work of probably a company that has 30 or 40,000 employees, if you think about the work that we do. And there's constant, I don't like to call it stress because it's, it's, it's energetic, um, but there's a constant need to really have your, your head on a swivel to be looking around because there's so much going on, so much of this change, right? Um, so, you know, we try to help organizations. That's the work we do. We try to help organizations adopt that. When Lindell and team consult with an organization, you know, underlying, I'm actually fairly open about it when we talk to uh, uh, organizations, but underlying the work that they're going to do around adoption, helping them build and execute adoption strategies, is we want to plant the seeds to make them more agile, more resilient, more change-oriented. That, that's just beneficial to everybody. It's beneficial to the organization. It's beneficial to us. Um, so hopefully that kind of gets to, to, the, to the question. Yeah, no, I think it does. And, and I mean, I think this notion of agility is, is one that's very important. And if we take it from the perspective of your customer, I imagine that, you know, we think about, for example, a, a customer that's first going mobile with their location intelligence, right? You know, the, 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 we're, I think, you know, I, I imagine you're a proponent of this and as, mm -hmm. as, as many of us are, is listen, you can't do everything at once, right? right. So you're not going to roll out all of the features that you want, right, to the field from day one, right? And you've got to get over that adoption hurdle first, right? And when you succeed there, then it's like, okay, how do we now continue to grow this, right? How do we introduce new features and functionality, right? How do we take advantage of more of the capabilities? And so that goes back to this point is, listen, it, it may seem like it's never ending, right? Because it's not this big waterfall project, right? That has a beginning and an end and then sits there for the next 10 years and we would decide to refresh it a decade later. That's just right. not how technology works anymore. No, it isn't. Um, we do a lot of work with transportation authorities, right? And you want to talk about people who have lots of field workers, right? That they're basically a field organization because they're transportation. And, you know, they're in the midst of, well, you know, there's a, what, a, a $1.2 trillion out there for infrastructure, and they all want to look real good, right? They want to look modern. They want to be the best candidates for that federal money. Um, so there's a lot of activity going on there. I know there's a ton of activity going on around mobile enablement. And when you talk about a transportation authority, let's say at a state, 
um, you know, there may be 18 to 20 different groups that do different work that are going to get mobily enabled. And really in that um, situation, when um, you're looking at all of these apps and all of these departments, you know, how do you prioritize how you're going to deploy? That's like the most important thing. You have a pretty good idea of the apps you want to deploy and the reasons why you want to deploy them. But how do you prioritize them? It's not just return on investment that creates that priority. It's, it's possibly simplicity of deployment. Um, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of factors that go in and, and we use a pretty structured method to help customers think through that prioritization, Esri does as a company, mm -hmm. um, um, so that they don't get overwhelmed, so they don't crash and burn in the middle of an implementation. Um, so prioritization is probably the, the key attribute there. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, there's this also this element of, you know, behavior change, right? You know, so when we're trying to get our our users to to adopt new technology, really, it's about, you know, helping change their behaviors, right? And you can't change behaviors all at once. And in some cases, it's about building smaller habits to mm -hmm. layer on, you know, and, and then once you build on those smaller habits, you can introduce more and more change over time. Do it all the time. Uh, a lot of that is education, you know, little bites, digest this, learn that, see if that's uh, amenable to you. Um, and much of that is also in that, you know, that sponsorship communicating effectively, you know, if they're doing that well, and, and I'll, I'll say that most organizations don't do that really well, but with our help and, and literally Lyndall and team's mastery of how to effectively communicate, um, and particularly in a large uh, transformational project like a transportation authority, um, there, it, it's got to be on point. It's got to be good. It's got to be convincing. Um, uh, and and again, that's a it's not a rinse repeat exercise at all. They're all pretty specific to the specific application that they're rolling out or the specific group that's receiving it. So it's it's not a small amount of work. It's actually a, a fairly strong, a large continuum of work. Yeah, I'm glad, and I'm glad you mentioned that because. You know, one of the questions I wanted to, to, to ask both of you is, is, okay, from a tactical perspective, right, you know, how do you help customers kind of execute on that, right? Because I think every customer is, yeah, yeah, we have to communicate with people, right? And we have to do communication well. We know we have to train people. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to the tactics of doing that, especially right? For a frontline workforce, which is very often very distributed, right? Lyndall, you mentioned at the very beginning, they don't have time, right? We may not even see some of our frontline workers for days or weeks on ends because they don't even come into a, an office or a depot or whatever it may be. So from a tactical perspective, can you guys talk a little bit about what are some of the tactics that you've seen that have been successful that, that customers have put in place to actually, hey, literally, how do we communicate with them? How do we make sure that they have the knowledge? Lyndall, you talked about earlier, like how do we get that information um, into their hands? Lyndall does so the work. So, so ta when you ask tactically, you know, I think that this is one of the examples of the tactical support that I provide the most, which is in communication, that oftentimes it, it can even be a very large company that has a fantastic communication department, but they don't have access, you know, to that support. And so we will put together a team um, of people who have different perspectives from the organization to come up with what we call strategic messaging, key messaging. And so a lot of times what we're doing is we're drilling down a very technical message to something that makes sense to the broader audience where I, I frame it around a big opportunity. So why are we doing this? this? That needs to resonate with every single stakeholder in the organization. Why is this so important? And we align that to the, the strategic goals of the, of the organization. So very often we actually align, we, we, we map out what are the strategic goals, how is our geospatial strategy gonna support that and the messaging then for each audience group that we do. Um, so then tactically we, we might create presentations, we might create um, small messaging for kiosks in organizations. Mm -hmm. um, we do a lot of flyers. Um, I do a lot of user guides, um, but it's, it's whatever messaging. I've even written video scripts before in the past for individuals, but so much of it is helping um, 
very technical oriented individuals to share their message, to share their value in a way that everybody gets it. That's the most important thing. Um, and then the second thing that I, I wanna share is that how we tactically help. Well, urgency is a key part of managing and leading change. That, and you know this, you've seen this. Initiatives that don't get off with any points on the board or wins early on, they kind of fall off the radar screen. Why? Because people are just so important. And so it's really important, it's an important strategy to actually have some critical wins. So we just talked about, you know, priorities and things. I see oftentimes with um, systems engagements, large scale things, that there's synergies that you have to have happen where you're building them, but you've got to keep the momentum in whether you're an agile environment or not, but these sprints or these things that need to be deployed, you've got to keep them going with a sense of urgency. And so very often tactically you need that communication and then simple things, just in time learning, right? So we, we, we can't send all these frontline workers to some class at corporate. We have to have just in time learning and, and that helps with your sense of urgency. So that's what I would add. Yeah. I, and, and obviously that's, you know, um, you know, close to my heart is kind of the just in time learning part. And, you know, one of the things that we've often observed, I think is that, you know, frontline workers, you know, for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of challenges, right, in in delivering the right learning at the right time to those frontline workers, technical challenges, cultural challenges, but they've often been left behind. And, and I, and, and it sounds like, you know, folks like yourselves, obviously, folks like us at Skillful, you know, we're trying to kind of change that mentality, but they're often, it's, it's, you know, as I always say, it's just, you know, it, there's, it's practically in many ways, it's just very difficult to kind of reach that audience, right? It's, it's, it's more difficult, you know, they're not sitting in front of a computer every day, right? They're, they may be working up on a, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a utility pole, right? Or they're in a squad car, right? As you guys know, or something, right? They're not there to receive the messages. It's certainly not what they're doing all day. So it's great that you're helping them, um, you know, th those tactics, I think are very important. So before we wrap up, I always kind of, one of these questions I, I kind of like to ask before we wrap is obviously, you know, you both have kind of a history in both technology and in, in change management. And I always, you know, I've been in, you know, I didn't have a technical background, you know, and I found myself my entire career in technology, which was kind of a surprise to me, um, you know, and, you know, I know there are things that I love and there are things that kind of bug me at times. So about being involved in technology all the time. So I always like to ask this question. What are the things you love about working with technology? Um, what are the things that maybe you don't like so much? What are the things that frustrate you? Wendell, go ahead. Um, gosh, what I, I love about it is I see organizations gaining more capability and being able to really solve their, their biggest challenges. So that's, that's what keeps, you know, me going, I guess, um, what, what I, I guess my least favorite part about it. And so I'm a former math major, math teacher, and there's always people say to me, I I'm so afraid of doing math. I'm so afraid of it. And so the piece, I guess, with technology that going back to that piece about mathematics, it's, it's eliminating this fear, right? It's just a sense of fear that I can't do that math problem or I can't do that technology. So that, that's my least favorite part of it is, is just working through the fear of, of something that probably really doesn't even exist. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We all have anxiety and I think technology can raise them for a lot of people. So Charlie, what, what, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I've been in tech for, so I was a journalism major, by the way. Yeah. Hang on, I need my lights on here. And I, and I know, and, and people who are listening, probably this won't come as a surprise. I know that Charlie mentioned this. He was also a, uh, a, a radio personality for WBCN in, in, in Boston. And I'm afraid he's going to take my job because he's definitely has a better voice for radio than I do. So um, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, I mean, journalism major, uh, stumbled around that industry for a little while, but yeah, got into tech early in, in life. And um, I have seen um, so many miraculous things happen because of technology. I've seen, you know, really early adopters grab onto, and this happens at Esri all the time, because our users is the one that really create our technology. They tell us what they want. They tell us what they want to do and, and we build it. Um, but I've seen just some incredible uh, history changing events that are caused by technology. Um, 
the, the latest one, and I just told the story a little while ago, but the latest one was, uh, and this doesn't have anything to do with mobile, but it certainly is an incredible feat, was NASA landing a, a lunar, um, or a, excuse me, a, a, a rover on Mars. Yep. And um, I think it was three ESRI engineers um, analyzed all of the imagery of this planet Mars that had been taken over the years, obviously from satellites, right? And they found a 30 meter round spot, which would be the optimal spot to, to land that rover. So that they would have the most traversable land that the rover could go and inspect, right? And explore, that's why the rover's there. That to me is like historical, right? So that's, that's just one of many, many, many amazing examples of history creating things that I've seen in tech that I love. Um, mine's similar to, um, uh, to Lindell's in a sense, and, and we see it all the time is, you know, I, I, I don't understand why people are, people are fear, fearful of it. Um, you, you can't really break tech. I mean, unless you deploy it incorrectly, you know, there's always an undo button. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I don't understand the fear of it. And, you know, overcoming that fear has always been a challenge 40 plus years in tech. Um, so that's, that's probably the one thing that eh, bothers me a bit. Well, Lindell, Charlie, really appreciate you taking the time today. It's been a great conversation. Uh, You're welcome. I, I, I've learned a lot. I know our listeners um, will learn as well. Um, where can folks find you? I'm sure LinkedIn is is a is a great place to kind of reach out um, if folks want to get in touch. Sure, and I'm pretty open. Uh, my email's really easy. Charles.jones at Esri.com. There you go. Um, and we'll definitely, if you're listening, um, check out the Frontline Innovators LinkedIn page. We'll be, you know, you'll you'll be able to connect with uh, both Lindell and, and Charlie there. Um, we'll put a link to um, the Esri if you want to find out more about Esri, www.esri.com. Um, and is there a, a more information about the adoption strategy team or, or anything there that, that we can share as well, Charlie? I can provide a link for folks listening. Yeah, I think if you get into the support section of our website, the support link, uh, or you could just use the search bar and, and, and search adoption or change management, you'll, you'll come across some of our collateral. That's great. That's great. Well, um, again, Charlie, Lindell, thank you so much for joining today um, and uh, really appreciate your time. Pleasure, Gene. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so we'll wrap it up here, folks. Uh, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. A friendly reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the Skillful website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode. 